We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here. I am here. Uh, We are catching up on a weekend and a Monday um, with, I guess, lots of different news. Lots of it related to the football team um, and some of the things that they were rolling out over the weekend, including this Take Command website, uh, or I'm sorry, Command Legacy uh, website, which was such a smooth rollout of a new website. Uh, We'll get to that. Tommy uh, hasn't had a chance to weigh in on Jacoby um, being a semifinalist for the senior committee. Um, what else? There are lots of things. I, I wanted to mention real quickly because I didn't do a podcast yesterday, and I am certain that you did not watch this on Sunday morning. But the Djokovic-Nick Kyrgios-Wimbledon final was really spectacular and exciting. Um, I was, for the first time in a long time, and I felt this way last week, and I told you this last week about Kyrgios, that he is really um, must-watch for a lot of different reasons, one of which is he's an, just an extraordinary talent, but the other is that he is he's nuts. Like, he self-destructs on the court, he's yelling at his box constantly, he's always in confrontation uh, with the chair umpire, um, but I have not seen the ratings yet for Sunday, but I have a feeling that a lot of people were tuned into that Wimbledon final, and it was such a high-level of men's tennis in that final. I really enjoyed it. I hope Kyrgios, and Djokovic said this afterwards, um, that he hopes Kyrgios, you know, is that this is sort of a beginning of kind of a, of a, of a career that's always held promise, um, a new stage of his career, because it would be important for men's tennis to have, you know, a figure like him. I know a lot of people don't like him, um, but the bottom line is I think he draws eyeballs uh, and the sport needs that. Um, so I, I'm assuming you didn't watch it, right? No, I did not watch it. Yeah. Um, but it was a great, great uh, tennis match. It really was. Really uh, enjoyed it. Um, so there you go. Uh, that's it on that. Uh, I, I was just looking for some uh, TV ratings stuff, uh, and it looks like for the most part they were up, uh, which would not uh, surprise me. Would not surprise me at all. Um, how you doing? How was your weekend? What did you do over the weekend? Well, the weekend was okay. Uh, my son, 
moved into a new house in Baltimore uh, that actually he had built. So uh, we, the moving day was Saturday, so we helped him with that. Uh, we didn't help him move. We just, like, watched the, other, watched the movers move stuff in. And then I went to a Braves game Saturday night at the uh, Youth Academy where we honored the Anacosta Lodge of the Masons who are generous contributors to the D.C. Grace organization. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much my weekend okay. after that. And I went to Shelley's. went to Shelley's after that. Oh, okay. Uh, that's that, that's, I mean, I that's on your way home. Shelley's. That's always on your way home. Yeah. Yes, it manages to be. Right. Well, good. Although, you know, I mean, every time I'm there and I'm talking to somebody, and I say, well, I got to go, and they say, where, where, do you, where do you live? And I say, in Frederick, and they're just blown away. And I have to drive, <laughs> like, at Frederick at midnight or something like that, you know? So, I mean, I'm, I'm used to it by now. Yeah, um, I, I feel the same way. I, I, I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a long haul, but, you know, it's depending on – look, it's a long haul for those of us that live in town or just barely out of town – but in other markets, that kind of commute is a nothing commute. Um, so there. Uh, by the way, I'm looking at this real quickly. BBC's ratings of the final. I have not seen the uh, ESPN uh, ratings of the final. Um, but the BBC ratings of the Wimbledon final on Sunday were way up and had one of the largest streaming audiences of all time. Um, but I, I cannot find wow. for whatever reason... That- the ESPN that's, that's exciting. The BBC <laughs> ratings. How exciting is that? Well, I knew you'd Isn't be excited. Doesn't this tournament take place in England? I knew you'd be excited by that. Uh, yes, it took place in England. All the okay. while, all the while, we were having you know a prime minister um, uh, situation there as well. Lots of things going on um, in the UK last yeah, year. Yeah, but how's the que- how's the Queen doing? Is the Queen okay? I think the Queen's okay. Is she okay? Because okay, I'm real concerned about the royal family. Well, the Duchess you know? of Cambridge, uh, you know, has never looked better. She looked awesome okay. as she pre- uh, as okay. she presented the the winning trophies for both the women's final and the men's final. I mean, Kate looked great. She's a beauty. There's no doubt about it. She really is. You know, it's it, it's like a park at Disney World. The whole royal family thing. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, I don't understand the obsession with it. The, the American obsession with it. I, I, yeah. I agree. I, I've never understood it. But yeah, um, it's been it's been a thing for a long time now. That's for sure. Uh, it's funny yes, because, it because I'll tell you they they um, the the ESPN coverage. They, after the match, they take you right into these conversations between, you know, Kate and William and the son who, you know, is adorable. I don't know how old the son is and the players like they've got the they got the camera and they got the microphones right in the middle of it. Um, But she, you know, I don't know much. I'm not a royal uh, follower. I'm I'm like you. I don't really understand the fascination with it. Um, But um they seem like a lovely couple. I'll leave it at that. Even though there are always stories about how poorly they seem to be doing in their marriage, which is part you know, maybe, and parcel to the whole thing. Maybe yeah. the football team for uh, a promotional campaign should start inviting the royal family to their game. Well, do you know, Tommy, 
Do you know that Queen Elizabeth's first American sporting event that she attended, it happened in the 1950s. Do you know what it was? No. You really don't? No, I don't know what it was. Why would I say no if I knew what it was? It was a Maryland football game in College Park. Really? Yes. Um, she, That's a strange uh, selection. Well, in the late 1950s, Maryland was a powerhouse in college football. You know that. They, 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 they participated in na- – they won a national championship in, I think, 1953 yeah, I or 55 or something. On October 19, 1957, Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip – watched Maryland upset the number 14 Tar Heels 21-7 at Bird Stadium from a specially erected box on the visitor's side of the field. The game game fell during the Queen's first-ever visit to the United States as a monarch, a six-day trip that began with a stop in Virginia for the 350th anniversary celebration of the founding of Jamestown. Then she uh, attended a state dinner at the White House, visited the Washington National Cathedral, Children's Hospital, the National Gallery of Art, and she specifically requested, before she came to the States, a chance to see her first American football game. And because, obviously, it's not necessarily because Maryland was, you know, a a big-time power at the time. It was because it was the closest game to her visit to D.C. Well, you know what, Lizzie? It's time to come back. Yeah. It's time to come back. We'll we'll find the one suite that isn't leaking or doesn't have sour milk in it, (laughs) and we'll put her in that one. Yes. That's a promotional campaign right there. The Royal Family. There's some good video of uh, or film of her attending uh, the game. 43,000 sellout crowd for the actual game um, there. 480 accredited members of the press. Wow. That's a lot, isn't it? Yes, it is. Western yes, Union. That, that is a lot. Western Union tripled its facilities in the press box. Newspaper, radio, TV, motion picture representatives from London, India, Pakistan. I like the way I said that. New Zealand and Australia were among the 480 accredited members of the press. The Queen's special security force was more than 300 strong. It included special agents from the Maryland State Police, Secret Service, National Detective Agency, and Scotland Yard. That's a pretty cool story. After the game, her reaction was, wonderful, wonderful. And Prince Philip said, very wonderful about their experience. And here's a copy, by the way, I'm looking at a copy of the Washington Post. Um, Queen sees Maryland game. Jim, Jim Tatum's Tar Heels. Oh, this is the day of the game. Queen sees Maryland game. Jim Tatum's Tar Heels favored before an expected 43,000. The game, by the way, was on WTOP radio. There you go. Okay. I'll tell you, on this podcast, you, you learn something about the past, and it, you, it's not always Tommy that's telling you about the past. No. 
No, that's a story I never heard before. Oh, the other thing that she was fascinated in coming over to, to, to the United States for the first time was frozen chicken pot pies. <laughs> and so she got one from the West Hyattsville Giant. She was fascinated, by the way, with just supermarkets in general. And I guess yeah. they were just becoming a thing in the late 50s. I don't know. Um, well, you should know that. I don't know when Giant started. You should I, know the whole history of uh, supermarkets. Well, the Giant Giant was, you know, founded by the like Izzy Cohen and that family, right? The Cohens, right? Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say I that don't know. You don't know. Why would I know? Well, because you're, you've been lived in the market for a while, and Izzy Cohen was, you know, a a big time business person and and known name in this market. I would have thought as the. But well, every time I've walked in the Giant, and I've asked where like the uh, crumb cake is, I've never asked who founded this store. No, never occurred to me. Um. Izzy Cohen, Israel Cohen, the giant food chairman who built his company into the largest regional grocery store chain in the nation. This is his announcement of his death uh, in 1995, died of the age of 83. This is the post story. Um, a pioneer in the industry. Let's see if there's when he launched it. So this is his obituary? Yeah. Yeah, it's a long... Let me ask you a question. Okay, so his... What? No, go ahead. Um, so, uh, Cohen had controlled the company since 1964 when his father, who was the company co-founder, Nehemiah Mir Cohen, N.M. Cohen, um, along with Joe Danzansky, they were the co-owners. That, that name's a very familiar name in the Washington area as well. Yes, it is. Um, yes, it is. He was the guy who tried to buy the Padres and move them to, uh, to Washington. Right. Um, yeah. The father first operated a kosher butcher shop that was in the mid-30s, went into partnership in Washington with Sam Lehrman. The Lehrmans are also, obviously, for those of you that know the history of Giant, a big name in the Giant family. Um, they began a self-service grocery store... And Harris in Washington, D.C., it would look like in the mid-30s. Oh, here it is. The first store opened in the midst of a snowstorm on February 6th, 1936, on Georgia Avenue and Park Road Northwest. Which, Tommy, I can tell you, and I, I, somebody may correct me on this, that that was really the, the wealthy area of Washington, D.C. during that part of, 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 of history. When you go back to the 1930s, 1940s, Park Road, Georgia Avenue, that part of Northwest, because really the rest of the city and certainly the suburbs had not been built out yet. Um, but, right. there, but there you go. The uh, first store, uh, giant store, February 6th, 1936, Georgia Avenue. When they write your obituary, do you think they'll include your your grocery store era? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they just say, you know, uh, remember remembered as part of uh, as the co-host of the Sports Fix with the legendary <laughs> Tom Lavero. 
Um, you know, you know that I I always tried to get Andy and Steve to do that on the sport on the on the sports reporters that we, we should all write each other's obituaries and see what it would like, see what it would say. But they never would do that. It was too maudlin for them. Yeah, it 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 is. It's it's a bit macabre. Well, they 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 didn't want to write more than three sentences though about anything. Uh, Andy was up for it because he always thought he's going to live to be hundred. So yeah. I mean, I can see Andy being up to it, but yeah, to me, it's a it's a bit too grim um, thinking. Okay. Uh, but anyway, all right. Um, typical uh, per this show, uh, we've not gotten to anything that we actually intended to talk about, but we will when we come back right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. Some really good uh, Apple uh, reviews. Lots of you giving us five stars and writing even more than one to two sentence reviews. Although this was one sentence. It came from uh, Beegis3. Awesome podcast. Kevin and Tom are hilarious together. Also, the number one rated podcast for the Delaware Sports Podcast (laughs) Association. Uh, Thank you. Thank you know you. the accolades keep coming in. Um, this is from Sean. Love listening to the show because Kevin and Tom just seem like one of us, the regular Joe. They both show a personable side when they tear off into a rant, cussing and yelling and arguing sports, just like we do in the barbershop or at the bar. They never seem like radio personalities or journalists, just one of the guys. It's what makes this show different and special, and I'll never stop listening to it. For God's sakes, watch The Wire, Kevin. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> And then from uh, G.C. Falcon Hoya, 
Uh, there is a reason why the DC Sports Podcast Association ranked them number one. Kevin and Tom are simply the best. As a lifelong DC area resident now living in Connecticut, listening to this show every day reminds me of home and helps me never forget the daily pain and struggle we all go through as fans of the Dumfries Commanders. Misery loves company. Also, Kevin fixed the crest, so we owe him. Uh, yes, thank you, you GC do owe him. Hoya. Absolutely. I, I look. I was one of many that uh, you know was outraged by the dates on the crest that they had wrong, and I had Jason Wright on the show, and I told him, and uh, our good friend, by the way, our good old friend, I shouldn't say good friend, our our listener, longtime listener, Ian, who I actually don't mind, Ian. Ian um, said to me this morning as we were talking about what happened over the weekend. You know, you uh, when you drop the line on uh, on Jason Wright, ask your head coach if he played for the '85 Bears or the '86 Bears. He's like, that's probably what did it uh, more than anything else. And I go, that's nice, and that's nice of GC Falcon Hoya to say that. There were they were getting absolutely ripped from every corner of town, fans, media, etc. on the crest, um, and they fixed it. Um, and they were in this position again this weekend, Tommy, with another gaffe, another avoidable gaffe. Um, but they seem unwilling to reach out um, to those of us that could help them uh, before uh, making these mistakes. And they made another one over the weekend. And so let's get uh, to the topic of Trent Williams uh, being omitted from the list of names for fans to vote the next 10 off of the 80 greatest to add 10 for 90 total as part of the celebration of the 90th year anniversary of the franchise's existence. Um, They didn't have Trent Williams, the obvious name that should be on there, more than any of the other names that should have been on there. Um, Trent Williams is without question the best player um, that was, you know, drafted by Dan Snyder's uh, team, uh, played for Dan Snyder's team, and is the one that will go into the Hall of Fame. There are others. Champ Bailey is going to go into the Hall of Fame, obviously. And Champ Bailey will go into the Hall of Fame as a Denver, Denver Bronco. He was drafted by Washington, but not, uh, and t- not but, but that happened before Dan Snyder took control of the team uh, in 1999, um, but I'll I, I, I I've railed on radio the last two days about this. I first want to hear your reaction, and then I'll give mine here on the podcast. So, what did you make of not just Trent Williams being off the list, but all of the spelling errors, the dates they got wrong, the labeling of of positions like labeling Richie Pettibone as one of the 80 greatest, saying that he was the head coach from 1981 to 1992. Um, just one gaffe after another, avoidable gaffes. All you needed was a, an editor to avoid some of these gaffes. What was your reaction to the whole thing? Okay, well, when an organization like this after everything it's been through, for the small errors to still be surfacing, speaks still to the bigger picture of how they do business. I mean, if you can't get the small things right that you can control, 
how can you possibly change the culture of an organization that's had arguably the worst culture we've seen in sports in our lifetime? Okay, the, the small things, they speak to a bigger issue. And here's what I don't get. If you run this team, I don't get how you did not have a meeting way back when where basically you kicked ass and took names of everybody in that room and you said, we don't make mistakes anymore. Zero. You, you just... What, you just have to be diligent beyond any possible belief. And you hire people to make sure that they're diligent beyond any possible belief. We can't afford to look like this anymore. Our goal is to get it right. Not necessarily to make some massive change. Not necessarily to win over fans. It's just to get what we do right. Okay, it should be our obsession every day. They should play a recording in that building every day, like like the morning announcements in school, where you say, "Make sure you don't screw up anything today." But they don't do that. It's again, it's 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 it speaks to the futility of this whole change of culture. You know, and they're not capable of doing the small things, then they're not capable of doing the big things. You know, there's that argument always. You know, if you if you don't get the details, if you don't get the little things right, you'll never get the big things right. And anybody that's, you know, been involved in a business and been responsible for, you know, the big picture of the business, I think understands that. So there is that. And it's really hard to argue that. Now, how much you care right now about these little things that they're messing up, which has now become sort of standard operating procedure, you know, that's a subjective thing. But really not debatable is when you can't get the little things right, as they haven't gotten for a long period of time, uh, it's really hard to get the big things right. And, of course, we know they've never gotten the big things right. Um, And things... There, there. I, I want to get to you know what happened, why it happened, what I've learned about what happened here in a moment. But really, to, to to sort of extend a little bit on your point, things that should result in a hundred percent positive of a reaction, like hey, it's ninety years. We're adding ten more to the greatest of all time list, and we're going to allow you guys to vote on it. This should have been nothing but a positive. It's July. There's nothing else going on. We're still a month, you know, three weeks away from training camp, a month away from the first preseason game. Just like, you know, Sean Taylor, just like 2 to 22, although that, that's a bad example. Take that out because that's not, that was going to be a polarizing issue from day one. Maybe not even polarizing. Um, it just like like all of these things that they're trying to do to on the business side to create positive, they just keep butchering. They don't get right. And the mistakes they make are so avoidable. So the bottom line is like what should be a positive is a negative. And if they took any amount of time, to really focus in on this, get people involved that could really help them, 
they would avoid this and they'd end up with 100% positive. But again, but but something that should have been positive was turned into a controversial, mostly negative over the last couple of days and forced them to once again right a wrong, a wrong that was completely avoidable. Here's the other thing too. Um, do you know uh, the name Jim Van Stone? Does that name ring familiar to you at all? No, it doesn't. Jim Van Stone is the president of business operations uh, for the Wizards and the Caps and Monumental Sports. I'd never heard of his name either. Had to look it up. Um, And I want to just make this overarching themed point. Jason Wright is taking a beating, which, by the way, is deserved, We shouldn't even know Jason Wright's name. If this were a normal organization, we wouldn't even know Jason Wright's name. I can't tell you I've ever heard of Jim Van Stone's name before. Never once. I can promise you right now. Now, if you pull the name and you say it, it'll probably ring familiar and I may have to correct myself, but I have no idea off the top of my head who was running the business operations as the president of the organization during the Jack Ken Cook, Bobby Beathard, Charlie Casserly, Joe Gibbs days. There are most fan bases don't know the name of the guy that runs the business operation, the president of the organization or the president of the business side. Most organizations don't know the name of the PR people. You know, they don't. It's only in this organization. This is unique. I'm not saying that there aren't organizations where you don't know, you know, that the president of the organization is, is some name. Like, I certainly know the name Dick Patrick, who's a longtime ex- senior exec- executive for First Aid Poland and Ted Leonsis over the years. We shouldn't yeah. even know Jason Wright's name other than... In his case, because he was the first African-American NFL team president hired, we would have known his name. But he should have immediately, in a normal organization, slid to the background. You know, he shouldn't be front and center like he is. But why is he? Well, because everybody, everybody, just like they did with Brian LaFamina, they're globbing on to just somebody to save us. Somebody to save us from this wretched owner that we have. And yeah, and so yeah, it, I think I think you're right. I think fans, you know, uh, see Jason Wright, and when you hear Jason Wright, you know, he 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 carries with him an air of confidence that makes you feel good when when you do hear him speak. So you're right. I think people do see him as a symbol of salvation. Although I think they did. I'm not sure they do anymore, but they did. Yes, just like with Brian LaFamina. I mean, you know, yes. you, you told him day one, rent, don't buy. Uh, same, you know, same advice you, you, you gave uh, a guy like Jason Wright. Look, when you come in and work for Dan Snyder, it's going to get messy for you. There's no way to avoid it. No way to avoid it. Now, when you come in as a very bright, um, you know, very sought-after executive from McKinsey, uh, you know, and by the way, you're the first African-American team president in the history of the league, 
and you know you're working in an organization that's high profile profile for all of the wrong reasons there's going to be a little bit more of a magnifying glass and we probably would have known Jason even if the organization were somewhat normal but a lot of what's coming down on him and some of this is under his responsibility you know in his responsibility bucket a lot of it so he deserves a lot of this criticism for this but if it weren't for this kind of an organization we wouldn't know that he was at fault for a lot of this you know and and so yeah yeah so when this first came out a lot of us you me everybody that's followed this team just said oh my god Another gaffe, and this one just reeks of Dan Snyder's small-mindedness, you know, his pettiness, you know, because of the way the Trent Williams thing, you know, ended. And again, let me be clear on this. I've talked to enough people over the last three years to know that this is probably more than a he said, he said, that Trent Williams um, may have been dishonest in the way he portrayed the way things took place between him and the organization. His cancer, how it was diagnosed, the urgency and care that the team gave him. I'm not taking the team's training and medical staff you know, off the hook for as bad as it's been. And, and look, I mean, Chase Young just went out to Colorado, chose outside the organization to do his rehab off of his injury than choose, you know, probably a, a preferred uh, organizational way of doing it. But I think that the Trent Williams thing is a situation in which, you know, he contributed to the animus. Um, and, you know, in this particular situation, not to defend the organization, but I think they did do a lot that, that Trent perhaps didn't disclose, but you know, the organization was never going to get the benefit of the doubt in, in that confrontation. They were always going to assume the worst about the organization, which is why the organization was angry. Um, and the, they felt betrayed. They felt that Trent, uh, you know, essentially was dishonest, it hurt the organization, and that they had really backed Trent multiple times through two different weed suspensions, and had given him the big contract, and it put a lot of faith in him as a person, despite the fact that he let them down on multiple occasions. In 2016, when he got suspended for four games late in the season, that was very critical to the team's effort to qualify for the playoffs for a second straight year, which would have been the only time it's happened since 91-92. And so, you know, the, the team, and Bruce in particular, Bruce wanted to bleed Trent dry, figuratively, of course. He was pissed. Dan was not happy. Trent played it up as if, his relationship with Dan, he hoped was okay, that this was more of a Bruce thing. But his relationship with Dan was not okay. It wasn't. Now, was Dan as pissed at Trent and ready to break and bleed him d- d- dry like, like Bruce was? Perhaps not. But the first thing I thought of was this organization is doing what it did with Kirk Cousins when it didn't trade him to San Francisco for the second overall pick. You know, because they didn't want to trade him to the Shanahan's. You know, they're being petty here. Now, this doesn't impact football operations, but it, but it's that pettiness that they have shown over and over again that's come from the top more often 
than not. Now, you know, Bruce and, and Dan both did not want to give Kyle Shanahan his quarterback. And by the way, for the, the guy that tweeted me, I saw that this early this morning. Um, no way was San Francisco willing to give number two overall for Kirk Cousins. How do you know that? Well, because Mike Shanahan told me that on this podcast. Told me that. Jay Gruden confirmed it, that he learned of that um, as well when he was in the organization, even though he wasn't in charge. He said that the uh, it was his understanding that the 49ers offered number two and more for Kirk Cousins before the 2017 season. So I thought, look, connect the dots here. This is, you know, this is Dan. So here's what I've learned, Tommy, since. So right when I got done with my radio show yesterday, incredibly, you know, they immediately put Trent Williams on the list with RG3. RG3 doesn't belong on that list, by the way, for one season. Um, But they put Trent Williams on the list. And I talked to some people. They were interested in speaking to me about my reaction um, to uh, the Trent Williams thing. And they insisted that Dan had nothing to do with it. Not that they said that Dan and Trent's relationship is great. Um, that, you know, but they did, they did say that Bruce was more of the issue with Trent, but that the organization absolutely was, as a whole, very disappointed and felt betrayed by the way Trent Williams handled the whole thing. Um, but that Dan didn't have anything to do with it. Okay, like with the Sean Taylor stuff, when they called me to say Dan didn't have anything to do with putting together a last-second 11th-hour jersey retirement ceremony weekend for, for, uh, for Sean Taylor to so- sort of deflect from the ugly news of the day, whichever it was. I mean, there's so many things to choose from. I can't even remember specifically what it was uh, during that uh, week. Um, but, um, you know, they went out of their way to say, you know, he's involved in a lot of shit, a lot of bad stuff, a lot of, you know, different things, but this was not him. Um, and I said, and then they, and then I was told that Trent Williams was on the list, on the list, voted by the 80 greatest Redskins who got the first chance to vote on a list that would be made available to the public. And Trent Williams was supposed to be on that list, which turned out to be 15 players and ex-coaches. And so I said, well, why wasn't he then? Why was he taken off if it wasn't Dan? And the answer was very convoluted, very vague, very, um, you know, uh, could not discuss that. Um, but I guess there is potentially still some ongoing stuff with Trent. That's what I surmised. I don't know why it would have stopped them from leaving him on a list for fans to vote for. But anyway, they put him back on the list. They admitted they got it wrong again, like they did with the crest, um, like they did with Sean Taylor's, uh, you know, rushed, um, uh, you know, opportunity for fans to come out and honor him. Um, like they keep doing, they they righted the wrong. I give them credit for that, Tommy, because there is a time when they would have never admitted that they made any mistakes. Um, and they now have him available to be voted on for the next 10, along with Robert Griffin III. So that's where we are, are on this. I don't know what else to say. I mean, it's um, until... Like you said, until they have people dotting I's and crossing T's, not once, but 15 to 30 times before any of these 
ideas get flushed out in front of the public, they're just going to continue, I would assume, to make these mistakes. They, They have people they could go to. They've chosen not to use those people. I've said this many times previously. They haven't had recently anybody in the organization that knows anything about the football part of the organization recently or certainly historically. And yet, many of you listening could have taken this website as a beta user and in 10 minutes put together an email back to their their team to say, here are the 37 mistakes that we found. The biggest being, where the hell is Trent Williams on this list? He's the he is the best player, Sean Taylor. Uh, you know, right there with him, the best player of the Dan Snyder era, a seven-time Pro Bowler yeah. in eight seasons here, and he'll be in the Hall of Fame one day. He'll go in as a 49er, I'm sure, um, but now he is on the list. So, let me put this to you. Yeah. Uh, let's say the possibility that it's true that Dan Snyder had nothing to do with this. Yeah. Directly. Yeah. Okay. Let me put this to you as again another reason why, as long as Dan Snyder's the owner, that things will never change. It's certainly entirely possible that somebody down low in the organization thought. Well, what would Dan do? Okay. He wouldn't have him on this list. Yeah. No, good point. Yeah. In other words, like, they're, they're, I mean, the, the owner's persona, again, consumes the organization. His presence hovers over it. People want to believe the worst of it. They certainly are, are going to believe that Dan Snyder had everything to do with this. And if he didn't, it's only because that people below him are acting as they as they think Dan Snyder would want them to act. Yeah, like like we said last week, the only people that defend him are people that are still employed by him and are being paid by him. Yeah. Those, those are the only people left that defend him. There's no, I mean, I'm not saying that there's been any sort of sizable group of people that have defended him outside of the people that are on the, on his payroll for a long time now. I mean, I have a caller in Ivan who listens and calls into the radio show all the time, who I think is the only person I know of that isn't employed by the organization that actually defends Dan Snyder on a regular basis. But other than that, I mean, as we've discussed, he's the most despised person, figure in the history of this city that isn't a politician. And it's been headed in that direction um, for, you know, certainly 15 years. Actually, that reminds me of something that um, just remind me, about no, I'm going to say it right now so I don't forget. Um, because okay. what, whatever I was going to say is, is isn't important. One of my sons asked me the other day, "When did people start to realize how bad Dan Snyder was as an owner?" It's an interesting question. The 2000 season, his second season, '99, he got in too late. You know, as the owner approved by the you know the league, 
um, took over after the Brad Johnson was trade. Charlie Casserly has told us before that he did attempt to undo the trade. He was not in favor of the Brad Johnson trade, um, and he tried to undo it, uh, but it was too late. The league was not going to undo the trade, and thankfully they didn't because that's one of his only two playoff wins to his credit during the course of his ownership, which he had nothing to do with and actually tried to destroy before the season started. But Brad Johnson obviously had you know, a massive season. By the way, Brad Johnson is not on the all-time 80 list. I just want to mention that because he had one of the great, incredible seasons in 2000. You know, RG3 had an incredible season. RG3's on this list. I'm not saying RG3's in and he's going to be added to it, but Brad Johnson, you know, Brand, I also mentioned Brandon Sheriff should have been on there. Brandon Sheriff is a five-time Pro Bowler. How is he not on the list? But anyway, when did we start to know? When did we start to, to have this sense? I think it was the 2000 fantasy football offseason. You know, Bruce Smith, Deion Sanders, Jeff George, Mark Carrier, etc., where he started spending um, like he was drunk uh, for the first time. But I don't think I felt that way. But some people it claim they started to feel that way. It was absolutely the 2000 season, and I'll give you an example why. Before Marty Schottenheimer was hired for 2001, yeah. he had gone, he was, a, he was uh, doing TV work as an analyst. Right. And during the 2000 season, he had trash dance night. I know. You know, that's why people were so stunned that he wound up working for Snyder because he had publicly trashed him. Right. So the word was out. Okay, the word was out then. Schottenheimer, of all people, you know, spreading the gospel against Dan Snyder. So I'd say it was, it was, it was the 2000 season. I think that, I mean, he, he, he quickly nullified it by hiring a guy who had criticized him. Okay, uh, but then by you know when you know they basically forced that guy out the door at the end of the year, that brought it all back again, and then he was able to nullify it again by hiring Spurrier. You know he's always had the move to basically to change the conversation until the conversation was so overwhelming it couldn't be changed anymore. I mean, the Spurrier move, the Schottenheimer move, the Spurrier, the Gibbs move, the Shanahan move. All these were, were, were basically changed the conversation. Although even by Shanahan, it was by, you know, at some point a losing cause. And now it just can't be changed. It's impossible. I understand what you're saying. I just didn't feel that way at the time. And, you know, I was... I was a a number, you know, a, a top. I was a one percenter in the fan base in terms of the passion <laughs> and the you know understanding of it and the following of it. And I remember that 2000 off season. I was not like, oh, this is terrible. This is the wrong way to build the team. I'm like, wow, Deion Sanders is going to play for this team. 
You know, they, they've added a pass rusher. You know, they've got, they're coming off a division-winning season. Tommy, the 2000 season going into it, I've mentioned this many times in the past, is the last time, 22 years ago, that Washington was considered to be a legitimate upper-tier Super Bowl contender. They were one of the top three picks in the NFL to win the Super Bowl before 2000 started. They had won a playoff game the year before against Detroit, and they were within a whisker of going to the NFC Championship game, uh, which would have been against the Rams, uh, greatest show on turf. The Bucks won the game, came back from a 13-0 deficit, and won the game 14-13. Um, Brad Johnson was kind of hurt, and the arm went uh, you know, dead, and then Dan Turks snapped back to his brother, dribbled back to him, and we never had a chance for a game-winning field goal. But Washington, in two, go, heading into that season, was a Super Bowl favorite. And, and, and by the way, they were 6-2 and two at one point, even after, they had me, um, even after they had benched Brad Johnson and put uh, Jeff George out there. And then the end of the season came, and Eddie Murray missed those kicks that Norv Turner sent him out to kick that he had no chance of making. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Norv got fired. And um, and 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 then in the offseason hired Marty. For me, it was when he fired Marty. When he fired Marty after that one season, that was the time I remember saying, "He's now fired two coaches in two years. The fantasy football thing didn't work out." Bruce Smith, by the way, is making me nauseous. He really did. The whole all he was there for was the record. He didn't care about right. winning at that point. Um, and Marty, I've, I've said this a million times, single biggest mistake football-wise, not all the toxic workplace stuff. Uh, firing Marty is the biggest mistake Dan Snyder's made. Um, they would have won division championships, plural. They would have been in the playoffs year in and year out for a long period of time. They would have threatened years you know, to be a, a legitimate Super Bowl contender winning 12, 13, 14 games. And he had that thing on the right track. He won eight of his final 11 games with Tony Banks and Kent Graham and one audible. And he was, you know, in search of a legitimate quarterback. He was going to need to find, you know, an upgraded quarterback. But he had in one year changed completely the culture of the organization. And it was on the path to a winning culture. But as we know, uh, Dan wasn't having enough fun. He wanted to take back the personnel control, bring Vinny back, and Marty said, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> they are not, you two are not going to be involved in this stuff. And, uh, and, he's, and they parted ways. So for me, it was at the end of 2001. I remember being distraught and saying, this is a massive mistake, and this guy's ego uh, is out of control. And it's not going to lead to anything good. But so hiring so, so Spurrier, Spurrier, no, no. Okay, was, that wasn't the South. For I'm, you? I'm no? not. I'm not saying that. You know, at that point, because I was still engaged and still super. It was still very important that there was an excitement for me around Spurrier to see what would happen. But I was pissed about the firing of Marty Schottenheimer. Pissed. I thought it was like, what are we? And I, I, Jack Kent Cook would have never done this. You know, we were still at the point where you know, uh, comparing it, 
And um, and you, and and remember, we it was in the rear view at that point. Ten years, this the last Super Bowl. We'd gone a decade without. You know, we were now at the Norv years. There were a lot of bad years before the division yes, title. Were. And then when they got Marty in, and you could tell, and the young people in that organization, like LeVar Arrington, had totally bought into it. Daryl Green and Bruce Smith and some of the guys that were getting ready to retire were not into Marty, but it didn't matter. You saw the product on the field. You saw what they had, and you saw them fight back and nearly, nearly make the postseason. They had a game late in the year against Chicago, and Erlocker scored on a fake field goal. And if that doesn't go down that way, Washington's playing for a playoff berth down the stretch after starting 0-5, which, by the way, was what Gibbs did. 0-5, 8 of the final 11, 8-8. Eight and eight. The yeah. next year was a Super Bowl. And that's what I saw it as. I saw, look at what he did, 8 out of the final 11, and, man, they were one tough, hard-hitting team. At the end of that season, I mean, they really, really were well coached, and you know he knew what he was doing. But what are you going to do? Um, so that was for me the beginning of really questioning the ownership. Now I okay. didn't, I didn't okay. turn on okay. the team. Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. What about the Gibbs hire? Had me back, hook, line, and sinker. There we go. He, I he fucked yeah. it up badly with Marty, but you know what? After these two years, which, by the way, were a disastrous two years with Spurrier, and that was another yes. thing, right? You know, th- them going down, and, and and by the way, the stories really started to come out because he hired Spurrier, got rid of Marty and hired Spurrier so he could have fun again, and he could be down there with his stopwatch and mobile timing players and working out quarterbacks. And so we, you know, we had the Patrick Ramsey selection. That was not a Steve Spurrier selection. Um, and so th- th- those those years, 2002, 2003, were disaster. I mean, the end of the Spurrier era where he's sitting out and he's turned over, you know, all of the play calling duties, that, 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 that team that year um, to, um, to what's his face? The, the Cleveland Browns coach that went 0-16. Hugh Jackson. When he turned it over to Hugh Jackson and said, oh, Hugh's going to call the ball plays, and Spurrier's sitting back on the heated bench in that cold game where it was sleeting and raining, and he had the, the heavy coat and the hood over his head, and he's on the heated benches, and you're like, he's already out the door. He doesn't want anything to do with this anymore. But then I was all back in with Joe, all back in. But, Tommy, the 2006 offseason in particular, you could smell that that was not a Gibbs offseason, that he was deferring too much to Dan and Vinny. And that's when I really, because that's when I, that was the first year I did the Riggins show. And I, I did this whole thing, I'll never forget it, on how this is a poorly run organization from a personnel standpoint and that you know Dan and Vinny involved are disastrous and Joe you know is is kind of allowing this and they've got to get rid of Vinny and hire a real general manager and that was in 2006 but look my passion didn't really really start to depart until the Shanahan RG3 disaster and the the owner siding with the 23, 24-year-old 
over a staff that had all of these future head coaches that would win playoff games, plural, and Super Bowls. Um, I, it wasn't until then. Um, the, 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 the Shanahan ending, even though I know that he didn't handle himself the best way he could, but that was look. I, I, you know, I've told you before. Dan has apparently apologized to Mike um, for what he did. It doesn't matter. It's too late, and things have you know not improved since then. Um, that that was really sort of the beginning, a little bit of the end. But then you know, they had the year in 2015 and 2016, and you know, they were a fun yeah, team to for- watch offensively. And you know what I thought of Cousins, and they finally had a quarterback that you know you could potentially win some playoff games with down the road if they stuck with it. But then they fucked that up. But for me, not as a fan, uh, but as evaluating. Uh, their opportunities as an organization, Shanahan was their last chance. That was it. I mean, after after the Shanahan thing, you know, fell apart, I never bought into I, I thought after the second season that Jay Gruden should have been fired for losing that Giants game. I had no confidence in Jay Gruden as the head coach. So, well, I mean, well, it was no, the that, Shanahan. That, that, was the, that was the first season. His first season was twenty four. Yeah, his first season is twenty fourteen. His second no, season no, no, was a no, playoff no, season. Okay, then the th- the third season they lost they lost the Giants game at the end of the season where they could have made the playoffs. Oh yeah, no, the Giants had nothing to oh, play for. Oh yeah, yeah, for. yeah. Twenty sixteen. That's his third year, right? When they okay. when they had a chance okay, to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I I I mean, for me, it was the Shanahan thing too, just in evaluating. Uh, that this will never change. That that was their last chance to change it. Right. Um, okay, we got uh, we got some Jacoby and Hall of Fame stuff to wrap the show up with. Uh, that's next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Washington's odds on my bookie uh, to miss the playoffs minus one ninety eight. Okay, so if you're going to bet on them to miss the playoffs, you have to wager $198 to win 100 or $19.80 to win $10. Uh, so meaning they are favored uh, by almost 2 to 1 to not make the playoffs. Um, there are also uh, the, some odds on them finishing in various places in the division. Their odds on finishing in first place plus five hundred five to one, second place three to one, uh, fourth place and third place the same odds at plus one eighty nine. That's the kind of stuff you'll find at my bookie. All of these prop bets for the NFL season, for the college football season. Go to mybookie.com or mybookie.ag. Use my promo code Kevin DC, and they'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar, all the way up to a thousand bucks. When you sign up, if there's something already in the promo code section, erase it and write Kevin DC. My bookie. Fair odds, fair point spreads. You're not going to be taken advantage uh, of on on vigs um, and lines. Uh, it's a real first-rate shop. You can trust them. Mybookie.ag, mybookie.com. Use my promo code, Kevin DC. So last week, at the end of the week, they announced Tommy, the Pro, Fo- Pro Football Hall of Fame did. Their class of semifinalists for the seniors and for the coaches and contributors 
uh, category. Um, and among the uh, among the twenty five uh, semifinalists for the senior. Um, uh, Hall of Fame uh, induction possibilities. Joe Jacoby was on that list. Joe Jacoby no longer can make it the normal route. He's not a, now has to go in through the senior route, uh, and he's on a list of 25 players. That'll be narrowed down to 12, um, uh, I think, at the end of this month, and then they will vote and we'll know Super Bowl weekend who the senior nominees into the Hall of Fame are. So he's on this list. You've seen this list. We both think that Jake, you know, we don't have to sit here and do what we've done, you know, three dozen times previously to tell everybody that we believe that Joe Jacoby should already be in the Hall of Fame and that, it, that it's criminal that he isn't. But what do you make of this senior list and his chances to get in this year? Well, uh, one of the things I wrote in my column, and you can read it, uh, you can go on my Twitter account and find it. Uh, or Facebook, or you can read it at WashingtonTimes.com uh, slash sports, uh, is that, uh, you know, these are all fine, great players. None of them meant as much to their franchises as Joe Jacoby did to the Redskins. None of them were the championship identity of their organization, meaning the Hogs literally are the championship identity of the Redskins' glory years, and the anchor of the Hogs, you know, one of them was Joe Jacoby. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think his chances are, are, are really good this time around. I don't want to get anyone ho- hopes up, but they changed the voting for the final ballot. Previously, they would only have one senior member right. on the final ballot for, for inclusion to vote on, Okay. Now they're going to have, because they have a backlog of great players who aren't getting in, they've expanded it to three senior members for the next three years to be on the final ballot for voting. Okay, so I think his chances have improved dramatically. And I just don't see how anyone in their right mind wouldn't vote for Joe Jacoby for, for, for the Hall of Fame. I just I don't get it. I mean, it's almost illogical. You know, I don't know. Look, the, the Hall of Fame football process is uh, there's a voter from each that represents each each team, and they all get in a room. They're mostly sports writers or media, and they all get in a room the Saturday before the Super Bowl and make stand up and make a case for their respective players from from their franchises, and then they vote. This group of I don't know, thirty two, forty people who do this, whereas the Baseball Hall of Fame, you get a ballot sent to you in the mail, you fill it out, you send it back. Okay? People may hate the Baseball Hall of Fame, but I think the process is a lot more fair than it is the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But that said, I just don't see how, uh, particularly with the expanded chances that Jacoby isn't in. I don't see how it could happen. Um, I agree with you, obviously. I mean, it, it goes without saying that that Jake should have already been in the normal route. Um, by the way, you know there there are, there's another um, there are two other Redskins uh, on this list. Do you know that? Did you know that? Are you looking? Okay, are you looking, are you I'm look- looking at it right now. Yeah, I'm sorry. There's my fault. There's one other um, former Redskin on this list. 
on the on the total list on or the, the list on of the senior players? on the senior list. He came he came here and played for George Allen for one season. He played for for George Allen in Los Angeles. Ma- Maxie Bond. Ma- Maxie Bond. Yeah, Maxie Bond was a Redskin. Um, so yes. Jake should be in this year off of this list. But can I just give you a couple of other names real quickly? Ken Anderson should be in the Hall of Fame. I've, I've always felt that Ken Anderson was a Hall of Fame quarterback, and I think he's going to get in via the senior committee. And I think that there are two corners on this list that also will either get in this time, one of them will, or they'll get in in the future. Lester Hayes and Everson Walls. Both of them. They'll get in. You know, Le- Le- Lester Hayes. Well, let me, let me start with Everson Walls. Everson Walls was a three-time first-team All-Pro Okay, not Pro Bowler. He was a four-time Pro Bowler. He was a three-time first-team All-Pro in 82, 83, and 85. And three times, three times he led the league in interceptions. By the way, there's only one other NFL player in the history of the game that has led the league three times in interceptions, and that was Ed Reed in Baltimore. Uh, So Everson Walls, I think, is going to get in through this – through this senior uh, route. Lester Hayes was a five-time Pro Bowler and was a first-team All-Pro once and a five-time second-team All-Pro, and he was elected to the 1980s All-Decade team. Um, By the way, both Everson Walls and Lester Hayes, uh, Super Bowl champions as well. In Hayes' case, a two-time Super Bowl champion. By the way, in 1980, the NFL Defensive Player of the Year, Lester Hayes was. So I think both of those guys and Ken Anderson will get in. Um, and I think, the, the, look, there's some guys here that I don't know enough about. I'm sure you can tell me more about Tommy Nobis and some of these other guys that probably deserve it, Jim Marshall. Um, but for me, J- Jake, Ken Anderson, Hayes, and Walls are the names that jump out as, yeah, those guys probably are going to get in via this route. Uh, so I think, uh, I think that, uh, Novus has a chance. Uh, and like I said, you know, th- th- for the next three years, they'll be picking three seniors, uh, to be on the final ballot. Right. I think, uh, I think Joe Plecko has a chance from the Jets to be on, on, on that, on there as well. Part of Defensive that, tackle. part of that Gastineau, you know, uh, group yeah. that really, really got after the quarterback. Um, Otis, yeah. Ta- Otis, so, but, Otis Taylor's uh, on the list. I mean, we know one thing yeah, that he, he can is. claim. He can claim that he got his ass kicked <laughs> by Jack Del Rio, like but he was Jack also Del Rio. He, but he was also a great player for the Chiefs, and you know yeah. had a had a had a touchdown in Super Bowl four um, for Hank Stram and Len Dawson's Chiefs. Uh, there, let me just mention real quickly. There's a name on here, Laverne Dilwig. Do you, are you familiar with that name at all? No, I'm not. Are um, you? I am. Uh, he played for uh, the Green Bay, Green Bay Packers of the late 20s and 30s. Um, I have heard his name many times during the course of his life because his grandson, Anthony Dilwig, and I were high school friends and high school basketball teammates. And Anthony was the first quarterback at Duke during the Steve Spurrier era, set every ACC record there was, and played in the NFL uh, with the Packers um, for a few years right before 
um, right before, or a, a year before, uh, Brett Favre uh, joined the Packers. So there you go. He is the grandson of Laverne Dilwig, who is on this list of senior eligibilities for the Hall of Fame. Anthony was a, a, an oh, unbelievable high school quarterback, a great college quarterback, and he was a really good high school basketball player, too. He was a good, good athlete, a really good uh, overall athlete. And I, I, Anthony was a friend of mine, and I knew his father very well, and his father listened to this uh, podcast um, and to the radio show uh, over the years before his uh, passing, um, you know, a year or two ago, I think, at this point. Uh, so anyway. What else do you have on this? Oh, the coaches uh, list. Uh, Shanahan, Shanahan is on the list. Shanahan and Marty are, are both on the list. You know what I yeah. think. I think Mike is a Hall of Famer, not just for his two Super Bowls and his overall, you know, contra- uh, and his overall uh, record, but his contribution to the game as an offensive innovator. I think that Mike Shanahan deserves uh, to be in the Hall of Fame. But number one on this list should be Marty Schottenheimer. I talked about this on Friday. Marty Schottenheimer should be in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the great coaches of all time. You know, he's one of only eight coaches with 200 wins. His 613 winning percentage um, is offset by his 5 and 13 playoff record. And that's really why Marty's not in the Hall of Fame, is because of his playoff record. Everybody understands that. But as I detailed, there was a lot of bad luck in those playoff games the drive, the fumble. He had uh, two field goal kickers miss kicks that would have advanced them at the end. And then in a game when they were 14-2 and in San Diego playing the Patriots, they intercepted Brady to end the game, and the guy fumbled on the return back to the Patriots, and Brady went down and won the game. Um, things that were kind of out of his control. Now, I did say, and I think fairly so, that Marty did get conservative in the postseason in some of the biggest games of his career. He got a bit too conservative, and maybe some of those games wouldn't have come down to a kick or a fumbled interception return um, if he had you know, been a little bit more aggressive. He was the anti-Joe Gibbs in the postseason. Joe Gibbs rolled out all of the trick stuff. He went for it in the postseason. And I think Marty, like George Allen, sort of, you know, uh, got conservative and said, we're good enough yeah. as long as we don't beat ourselves. And But Marty should be in the Hall of Fame. I think Marty and Mike should be in the Hall of Fame. I think Mike's going to have a hard time. Why do you think Mike will have a, whole t- a hard time? Well, because I think the, the, the uh, Redskins stain will be tough to wash off. It's funny how many people in the game, especially in the last few years with the Kyle and the McShay and the LaFleur and you know everybody else coming now off the Kyle tree, it's amazing how much more pe- or how how much recently Shanahan's name um, and his you know accomplishments um, and contribution to the game keeps getting brought up. I think he's got a much better well, chance now so. than he than he than he did right after he left here. Maybe I, he does. I think there's a recognition with his tree of the ongoing impact that he has had on this game, including you know what we've seen the last you know few years of from San Francisco and from L.A. and from you know that all of the teams that it, that employ especially the Shanahan run scheme. Uh, 
All right, you got anything else? I got nothing else for you, boss. Any did, did did anything happen while we were on the air? Any investigation? Any congressional stuff? Any Snyder stuff? Probably, but we'll just not deal with it. Not that I can determine. But we'll just deal with not it. Not that tomorrow. I can see. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we're done. I'll be back tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.